Heavenly Father, guide us by your word. Lord, use these words to convict, to encourage, and to bring unity, Father. We love you, we praise you, we give you all the glory. In Christ's name, amen. So this morning we're just continuing our summer series about the the body of Christ, and we've come to this most important uh, term, unity. Now, I don't want to approach this lightly, um, and I hope you don't approach it lightly either, because unity is so important. In fact, Christ said that the world will know who he is and who he has sent by the way we love one another, by our unity. So um, as we go through this morning, I would love for you to follow along uh, in your Bibles. We'll be go- jumping back and forth from our scripture this morning. But also, just a reminder that there are little notepad deals. They should be hidden under your seats. Um, or if you want to get your own parchment paper or papyrus out, you can do that as well. It's funny because I was, I was telling in the first service, I, used, I said par- parchment paper uh, in our college group. I had mentioned, uh, I said, bring your Bible. It was our first day. Bring your Bible and bring some parchment paper and or papyrus as this, you know, some ha-ha joke. And that evening, students showed up with parchment paper. <laughs> and one of them said, I would have brought papyrus, but I didn't know what that meant. <laughs> I was very impressed. So you can follow along real quick. So we, we, our, our scripture here is from uh, Paul to Philippi. Uh, and I just want to give you some background. Paul is writing to uh, the Philippian church. Uh, we saw in Acts 20, this Philippian church he was writing to while he was under house arrest in Rome. Paul is getting close to the end of his journey, the end of his calling. He is on his way to testify before Caesar, the most powerful man on the planet. And the Lord said he would testify before Caesar. He has gone through on his third missionary journey, went through a shipwreck, all kinds of crazy stuff, and has now found himself in Rome under house arrest. And what would eventually be his beheading is coming soon for him. He's writing to a mostly Gentile church. That means a non-Jewish church. Uh, Most of this church were Romans, in fact, um, spoke Latin. And a lot of them uh, were actually ex-military and retired. Uh, These people had great privilege uh, they had great amounts of money. They didn't have to have certain taxes. Uh, to be a Roman in this day and age came with a lot of perks. And of course, we know Paul was actually a Roman citizen, and he was actually using his perk to be able to testify to Caesar. So God works in many, many ways. Um, you can actually still visit Philippi today. Uh, it's, a lot of its ruins have been uncovered. It's tremendous. And I continue to remind you that This isn't a book club we're doing here. This is real life events. These are places you can visit today. Paul was a real person. This church really existed. Here's a quick little map. It's actually Philippi is the first church that was founded in Europe um, outside of Asia, Asia Minor. And you can kind of see it's in the middle of the screen there towards the top, Philippi, um, just about 10 miles away from the Mediterranean. A little more background. This letter was written as uh, a letter of encouragement and joy. Um, Paul had received a gift from the Philippian church, and he was wanting to remind them as he was sitting here under house arrest how important they have been, how important they have been in the ministry. But another important key here to his uh, writing this letter is reminding them to stay strong in persecution. Now, we talked about, remember this Romanness of Philippi. Persecution was, was beginning to happen, of course, to the Christians. It was an outlawed religion. Um, but it was, going, it was just about their stepping into the 60s A.D., which uh, one of the emperors that was about to take over was incredibly, incredibly, 
evil, I guess, towards Christians, uh, persecuting them. And persecution was going to come not just to the Jews, not just to the Greek, but also to the Romans, the most privileged of people. And Paul was preparing them for that. Uh, It's important to remember through the book of Philippians that Paul continues and continues the point that Christ is our foundation. He's our fixed star. He's our example, our truth, and our only hope. He is the objective reality that we stand upon. So you can write this down. These are our three points for today. Three keys to Christian unity, according to Paul in Philippians. Point number one is be of the same mind. Be of the same mind of Christ. Paul says this about four or five different times in this passage. Be of the same mind of Christ. Point number two, be of the same love. Be of the same love of Christ. This also is said throughout the scripture passage. It can also be paired with be of the same spirit of Christ. So be of the same love. And then point number three, be of the same obedience of Christ. And we'll talk about how those pair together. So to the first point, being of the same mind does not mean you're intellectually the same or you're an intellectual clone. It doesn't mean you have stylistic uniformity is all the same or every little action or thing you do is the same or you love the same kind of carpets, same teams, same songs, whatever. It's not that. It means having the same goal, the same vision, aim, passion. And most importantly, the word used by Paul often is allegiance. Allegiance. Some of you may know Herm Edwards. Uh, if you're, we've got a lot of good sports analogies this morning. Herm Edwards was a coach uh, for many different teams, but he also coached with Kansas City Chiefs for a little while. It wasn't our best couple of years, uh, but he's just a great, well-known coach. Still is on 810 Radio. And he said this quote, and I remember actually when he said it, um, speaking about the Kansas City Chiefs in one of their seasons, he said, the players that play on this football team, that is the Chiefs, will play for the name on the side of their helmet, not the name on the back of the jersey. Okay, it's great advice. Many coaches probably use very similar things. We play, we're, we have a common aim, a common goal, and that is our team. If we become too much about our own gifts and talents, things can go haywire. And Paul is kind of using the same illustration. As Christians, that is, the word literally means little Christs, we are on the same team. We're on the same team, guys. That is Christ. Christ is our aim. He's the one on the side of our helmet. We bear his name. Therefore, to win this game or whatever, or to achieve the the great commission that Christ has called us to, we need one another. We need our pastors, our shooters, our defensemen. Apply this to any kind of sport, any working of a people, even within your own. You can think about great corporations. There are people with different gifts and talents, but they're working towards a common goal. Whenever someone begins to work for their own goal, that's when things go haywire. Many of you can think of many different, here's a list of a few people that I've seen that have had uh, teammates that have had trouble with one another and thus causing the team to struggle. Alex Rodriguez and Derek Jeter, Kyrie Irvin and Dion Waiters, sorry about NBA people, Barry Bonds and Jeff Kent, if you remember that one. And then, of course, one that strikes very close to home for me, being a Steelers fan, I know. I, I'm a Chiefs fan first. I grew up in Kansas City, but my, my parents, my dad, he grew up in Pittsburgh. And so I can remember just vividly him screaming and yelling at the television because of these two incredibly talented players, Big Ben and Antonio Brown. Super talented, but did not like each other very much. 
didn't get on the same page very much. You'd always see Big Ben running. I was like, you, you, weren't, you weren't listening to my route. That's the route. And Antonio Brown's like, you don't know how to throw the ball. And, but they were so talented, had such great ability, but couldn't get it together. And it eventually meant to the dispersing and Antonio Brown going to a different team, which we'll see if that plays out as a good thing or not. But it did not help the team. It did not help the overall vision. So it's important for us to consider Paul's use of the Greek because in, in really his wording in verse 27 of the first chapter. Now, the word for manner of life can literally be translated as live as good citizens. Live as good citizens. Remember that we're talking about Philippi, a Roman colony. So it only makes sense that Paul would appeal to the Philippian sense of civic duty, something all good Romans understood. The Roman duty was allegiance to Caesar. That was the name on the side of their helmet. That was the team. It was Caesar, the Roman good. And, and like I said, some of these guys are ex-military. They knew that very well. So Paul's making this point that our allegiance is not to Caesar Curios, which is the Latin word, Lord Caesar, but to Isos Curios, Lord Jesus. So Paul's using a play on words here. And Paul makes this clear as he continues in his, in his scripture that Caesar is the one who will bow before the Lord. All will bow before the Lord including the emperor himself, because we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said this, my kingdom is not of this world. This is our place. These are our people. This is our life. Christ. Our allegiance is to Christ, not to Caesar, but to Christ. Jesus said, give what is Caesar's to Caesar. Give what is to God's, what is God's. Whose image is on you, you're made in the image of God. So therefore, give yourself to God. Your allegiance is ultimately to God. Now, this is a, a, a tricky point for me to make here because it matters, uh, your nation. It matters where you've come from. Your story, it matters. Um, it's important. And you have been brought up in a certain a time and place for a reason. But... We mustn't forget the ultimate aim, the ultimate foundation that brings unity that we can all agree on. And that is Christ. This is Paul's claim. It is not Caesar. It is Christ. So let's get our priorities straight. Let's rethink them. Let's get a handle on who we are. Get a handle on what we value, guys, because you're going to be put to the test. I'm writing to you from prison. I'm about to go to Caesar. I'm going to get my head chopped off. Get your values right on how you want to live. So point two is be of the same love of Christ. This picture is Christ in the garden of Gethsemane. The night he was betrayed. And we know Christ, he came and he prayed to the Father and said, if there's any other way, have this cup pass from me. The priority, and I guess the, the, the human side of Christ that we can relate with, why would someone want to go through a crucifixion, the most excruciating Roman death? As it says in these verses, think of this picture of Christ in the garden and hear these verses. Do they apply? Is this the kind of love that Christ Showed, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, 
But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Jesus said this in Matthew 20. You know that the ruler, the rulers of the Gentiles, that is the Romans, they lord it over. They lord it over them. They lord, they lord things over other people. And their superiors exercise authority over them. But it shall not be this way among you, my disciples. Instead, whomever wants to become great must be a servant. Must be a servant. Jesus got down before the Lord and said, if there's any other way, have this cup pass for me. But not my will, your will. Not thinking of his own desires necessarily or, or, or the fact that his body was going to go through great pain and suffering. He would become sin. Not of that desire, but of the desire of God. The love for others. It says, for the joy set before Jesus, he endured the cross. He endured to make a way. He endured to make a way for you to break down the curtain. To open the veil. To open paradise. So that you may be with the Lord in glory. Therefore, the, the third point of this is intrinsically attached to the second. To be of the same love of Christ, as we just saw acted out in the Garden of Gethsemane, is to be of the same obedience of Christ. True humility is being obedient to God. It says here, and being found in human form, he humbled himself, God incarnate, humbled himself by becoming what? Obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the Father. Obedience and love. And I think it's so important for us today, particularly in our, our Western understanding, to rethink this word love. Because a lot of time, love, it's just, it's, it just kind of sits in the ether and it, it can mean a lot of things. And a lot, a lot of times it's attached to like this happiness or this emotion or this feeling. But really, love, and the reason that we love good Disney movies and the reason that we love great stories is because love has this piece of sacrifice to it. This piece of being obedient for a greater aim. You know, the Greeks had a great word called agape, which meant sacrificial love, the love of God. True love involves sacrifice and therefore obedience. Obedience. This is not just a random point I'm throwing out there. This is the narrative of the scriptures. Romans 5.19, Paul says this, For just as through the disobedience... Right? The disobedience, a huge portion of what it meant to be in unity with God, not to be disobedience. The one man, the one man, the many were made sinners. So also through the obedience that is of Christ of the one man, many will be made righteous. Romans 1, 5. Through him we receive grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith, from his namesake. And in 2 John, this great picture that pulls it together, it shows us the love and obedience, how they work as one. And this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands. 
as you have heard from the beginning, from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love, is that you walk in love. Christ is our common, unifying goal. Mark that well. Christ is our common, unifying goal. His likeness, his commands, his glory ultimately is our civic duty. It's our civic duty. Remember that. Only let your manner of life be worthy. Part of the translation is whatever comes, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. This is what unifies us. Now, some of you are thinking, okay, okay. Now, here's where it gets tricky, Luke. At what point do we decide to part ways? At what point do we decide that we cannot live in unity with someone? And I've been thinking about this a lot, and I think it's incredibly important for us because this happens. And this, I think, is very closely related to what Paul is saying here when he says, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. And it's so, it's so key because we live in a world right now that is so full of disunity. And there's so many places that we can... You know, the world is trying to force us into, into boxes and into certain sides and into... Say this, say that. And I think that's exactly why Christ said, when the world is full of disunity, where else should it look but the church to find unity? What a light that would be in a world of chaos to look to Christ's people as disciples that are unified under one banner and are working together. Now here's the key point. When disunity happens... It is from the disobedient, not the obedient. This is key. You are always in unity when you are obedient. Disunity is never brought by the obedient. It is only brought by the disobedient. Those who seek to deunify are those who are not being obedient to the gospel of Christ. If you are obedient and you act in the way of, of love and you follow Christ's banner, you never have to worry about being ununified. People will come and go and move where they please. But as long as you remain with your fixed star on Christ, you're always in unity. You must believe that. As Jesus said, as he lived out. Is it right in Hebrews chapter 12? Looking to Jesus, right? Our fixed star, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. It was a joyful thing for Christ to pursue the cross. He did it with joy and he was obedient to God. And many people... Did, left him, brought disunity. When Jesus spoke clearly about his body and his blood, it says the disciples began to leave. Now you're saying, well, how is that unity? Disunity is brought by the disobedient. Christ was perfectly obedient. 
Therefore, he was perfectly unifying. Believers, then, therefore, Christians, little Christs, should consider themselves on this team as bondservants or slaves of Christ. Paul uses this word time and time again. It's, it's an odd phrase for us, but it, and, and Paul knew that, that bondservant and slave was not a positive word. But if you're a bondservant and slave of Christ, It's the most positive thing, the greatest privilege, because his harvest is righteousness. His goal is the glory of God. He is our Lord and our allegiance is due to him alone. Therefore, if you are a slave to Christ, you must renounce other masters and give yourself totally to him. This is what unifies us. Being a bondservant of Christ is not drudgery, as I said. His burden is light. His yoke is easy. As Romans 6.22 says, now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness. And the result is eternal life. David said it best. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me, God, to be disciplined by you, to be protected by you, to be led to the green pastures by you, to be completely Under the authority of you, because you are a good shepherd. Now, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his attempt to bring unity, he was a a German pastor in the 1940s who was heavily persecuted by the Nazi regime as being a Christian. And he had the opportunity to leave, to get out, but ultimately he would be imprisoned by the Nazis for taking a stand against them and killed. And and Dietrich Bonhoeffer had a cry for unity amongst pastors and Christians in Germany. Now, there was disunity because of the disobedient. But Dietrich Bonhoeffer continues, "Let, let us remember Christ. What's his demand for us? A similar plea came from Bonhoeffer as the plea that was coming from Paul in very similar situations. Unity was the term that they plead to because it is the most central piece of what it means, particularly when facing persecution. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this, who stands fast? Only the man whose final standard is not his reason, his principles, his conscience, his freedom or his virtue, but who is ready to sacrifice all this when he is called to obedient and responsible action in faith and exclusive allegiance to God. The responsible man who tries to make his whole life an answer to the question and the call of God. Where are these responsible people? As long as your standard is your reason, your principles, your gifts, your talent, your way of thinking, your freedom, your country, your church your virtues, as long as those are your primary aim, you rob Christ of his glory. You disunify the body of Christ. You bring strife to your brothers and sisters. And there are so many ways, because everyone in this room, we're never going to agree on the same things about everything. We're not. But what can we agree on? Christ Jesus and him crucified. 
Is this your goal? Is this your aim? Is the cross of Christ your aim? Because I am under the firm belief that if the cross of Christ becomes our aim in everything we do, laying aside our crowns, laying aside everything we have and making this the primary, then everything will fall into place. It's the great trickle-down effect of the cross. Let us agree on this, beloved. Let us be unified on Jesus. It must be primary. It's not even attachment to these other things. And then everything else falls into place. You say, well, we can have a place to sit. The chairs, the carpet, everything becomes secondary. So the last slide to you and the application to this, and I want you to chew on this because it's hard for me to get up here and I can, I can draw examples in my life particularly. Look, you're looking at a guilty pastor, a pastor who is full of sin himself and many times where he's brought disunity to the body of Christ. And for that, I repent. But I can't stand up here and, and draw necessarily to every single one of your situations Where we we make Christ not our primary aim. Or we worry about the name on the back of our jersey. Or we go against our our teammates. We sabotage the goal. You you know what it is where you're doing that. And I ask you to think on this. Where is your priority? So to be of the same mind of Christ means to know your team. Know who you're playing for. Be of the same love of Christ means know your purpose. How is this acted out? What's the goal? What is Christ? What is the commands that he has given us to be his light to the earth? And then to be of the same obedience means know your God. Know what he did for you. Know what he did for the world. Be driven by the same joy, the same delight. Jesus said, in my Father's house there are many rooms. If it weren't the case, I wouldn't be telling you guys. I'm going there to prepare a place for you so you can dwell with me. So we can dwell together in my presence. I come from the Reformed tradition of things. And there's a great line to say, what's the chief end of man? It's to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Enjoy Him. This is a, get your mind around this. Get your mind around this. Let's pray. Christ Jesus, sanctify us by your blood. Lord, motivate us by your spirit. Unify this body, Lord. I pray that your spirit would speak through these words, God, that it it would stay on on our minds, that it would remain fresh in our thinking. Lord, convict us, Lord, of the places that we have not listened to your word, Father, that we have not allowed you to be the ruler or the foundation of our life, not allowed you to be the primary aim, God. We repent of idolatry by making ourselves God. Lord, we just want you to rule 
in everything. We want you to have your way. Lord, do your will in this body. Lord, may we be one organism, Lord, one body that can reach its hands, Lord, out into your kingdom. Lord, we need you. We need your guidance, your conviction, your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.